When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, my name's Stuart Miles and welcome to the Pocalimp podcast. This week, Qualcomm has been holding its annual Snapdragon Summit and detailing the process that will be powering our smartphones in 2021. Pocket Dan's Grabham has been following the news to find out what our next phone will be able to do. I recently talked to Nick Forrester, the general manager of EMEA for a company called Overdrive that specializes in delivering digital copies of books to libraries around the world about how our reading habits have changed, how we can benefit from the service and what it means for your local library. Apocalypse Mike Lowe joins to discuss the new Samsung Galaxy Book S laptop. This time it's powered by Intel, but is it good enough to power your work? Keep listening to find out. So Dan, normally at this time of the year, you're one of the lucky ones in the UK that gets to fly all the way to lovely Hawaii on the other side of the world to learn about processors and mobile phone processors in particular. It's a tough job, isn't it? So what has been the news so we yes we've had the 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 new snapdragon 888 platform launch which is basically going to underpin most of next year's flagship phones um it's a it's a 5g platform only so it's you know it it's, it's going to be at the high end of things although we're obviously we're seeing more mid-range 5g phones launch all the time now and um, basically the 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 key thing is is with this platform is it's a it's a it's a main rival to Apple's A14 silicon. Um, they're both five nanometer based designs. They're they're all based around ARM designs. As, as and what does that what does that mean? Well, basically, I know that was before it was seven 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 nanometer nanometer in the ten before that, and so now you know it's getting the numbers getting lower. What does that mean for the general populace? Well, basically, it means extra efficiency. So they can do a lot more without the without extra power draw basically so even though these these are highly capable devices that we're going to be seeing they might um actually save on battery life obviously with other um things like brighter screens and that kind of thing generally the, the battery life doesn't doesn't sort of increase greatly but it stays the same um, but the, the 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 main thing here is that we're going to be the 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 platform is is much tight more tightly integrated than before. The five G element is is directly on the on uh, on the silicon, so rather than being a separate modem, so it it all it, it's all designed to be the most efficient thing possible. And I suppose if you've got if you've got the five G baked into the the lead processor, then yeah, there's going to be lots of efficiencies there. There's going to you're not talking to there's less reasons for it to go wrong so to speak because it's not talking to another processor that's somewhere else on the on the board it's it's there in the same processor isn't it yeah definitely and there's a there's a um integrated isp for um for, for, for photography as well and so they now it's going to be able to take from three different lenses um 4k streams from each so you could base the the, the switching between between lenses is, is going to be quicker and um you know that that opens up new, new possibilities for apps um there's also an ai processor on there we've, we've seen that 
on in, in a lot of processes for the last few years but um you know again it's it's tightly integrated um and obviously all the graphics and all the normal stuff is on there as well and so has anybody any of the third parties announced that they're going to be using this processor already Yes. Do you want the list? Um, <laughs> is it really? Is it that, is that, that yeah, exciting? Yeah, pretty extensive. It's pretty extensive. Um, so they had they had a few companies on stage, like Sony, for example, um, also Asus, Lenovo, LG, Motorola, um, Realme OnePlus, Oppo. Um, so there's quite the, 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 there's quite a few companies involved. Um, there's a bit of a race to be the first um, the first handset out there with it, um, but that we think that's going to be the Xiaomi um, Mi Eleven. So um, that's that that should be launching in, in in the early in the new year. But basically, a lot of these phones are going to be coming out in that kind of normal time frame of February March time that we normally get Mobile Congress as well. But obviously, that's been delayed. The the, the show has been delayed. But we'll, we'll still get quite a quite a few phones around that sort of February to April time time frame. I think with this with and so this platform. And that was probably my final question: is looking forward to um, looking forward to twenty twenty one. Is this this announcement has come at the same time that it normally does. And, you know, the, the, the pandemic, so to speak, is, although it's still raging, it's we're starting to see light at the end of the tunnel with the vaccination news that's coming out, you know, from different, different studies and stuff. Do we, do we think that that will, that it will be business as usual for the mobile phone industry and launches going into 2021 with this process? Pretty much, I think. Yeah, I mean, we've 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 seen certainly we saw the Apple stuff. Things were slightly delayed, weren't they? They weren't they weren't they weren't delayed to the point where you could really sort of go, oh, well, you know, it's been it's been a significant delay. Um, but I think you know, whereas we might have maybe whereas we might have had some stuff in February, maybe we'll get it in April, that kind of thing. So I don't think it's going to be a, a major issue. I mean, obviously, a lot of this, a lot of these things are designed so far in advance. Anyway, I mean um the, the 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 core designs for these the, the the actual processing cores on this platform were announced by arm back in may so and obviously they've been working on it for a long time so um you know years and you know this is the as qualcomm said on in this launch is sort of a multi-year effort by thousands of engineers so that's not going to have been hmm. affected by the pandemic obviously other time frames to further down the line may be affected, and, uh, but obviously they can compensate for that. So that's 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 an interesting thing. But I think in terms of phone launches, certainly it's going to be all systems go in the new year, really. And the conference, the, the Snapdragon Summit, is very much along. You know, there's a lot of announcements normally that come out of that that event. Does has that been the same this year? Is there anything else that's of interest other than the eight 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 processor? No, it's basically been all around that. I mean, the so yes, normally there are other things, and and yeah, I mean, going back to your sort of pandemic point, that 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 could have been affected there. But I think um, you know the hope the hope is that in twenty twenty one we'll have more in person events, and and you know maybe uh, you know that a lot some of those things needed more practical demonstrations. Um, Certainly, you know, Qualcomm has been sort of pushing more into the the PC space. It's got it's got several several platforms there, and it's uh, you know ARM based as well, obviously. Um, and you know, with the with the announcement of Apple M1 stuff recently, also ARM based, um, you know, certainly that space is going to grow. So that may be something they 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 decided that they had to sort of come back with in 2021 anyway. Um, but certainly, yes, we normally get more, but um, you know. I think I think for a virtual event, concentrate on one thing is no no bad issue really. 
Still to come, Mike tells us about how he's getting on with the Samsung Galaxy Book S. Ultra lightweight and the slim design really, it just has the real sharp look about it um, and it's not absurdly priced. So it's really, you know, critically it's at that sub thousand pound point. The UK has seen a major spike in digital reading in 2020 as a result of patrons turning to libraries to access digital books while those libraries have been closed. Overdrive, the creator of digital reading app Libby, says it saw an 83% increase in digital book checkouts on the app, with readers having checked out a whopping 356 million ebooks around the globe this year. It's up around about 39%. I chatted to Nick Forrester, the general manager of EMEA for Overdrive, to find out more and started by asking him to explain what Overdrive actually does. So Overdrive has been around for quite a long time uh, and what Overdrive is trying to do uh, and has successfully done for, for more than 20 years um, is equip public libraries primarily uh, to engage with their borrowers in the digital space and make available to their borrowers um, e-books, e-audiobooks, digital magazines and other forms of digital content as those emerge and, and start to generate a meaningful audience. And so when you say sort of loan them out, how, in theory these are digital copies so surely they should just be unlimited shouldn't they? Um, you may very well think that if you were <laughs> a published author or a publishing company then you might have a slightly different view. And one of the challenges over the course of the, 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 the 20 odd years that Overdrive has been operating has been to try and as far as possible um, align publishers thinking and provide a bit of thought leadership to publishers uh, in terms of what they might uh, uh, permit library users to do with their content. Um, without putting copy sales at risk, because fundamentally that's that, that that's the publisher's concern. Because I suppose if you've got, say, a hundred, let's just for easy maths, concerns here. If you've got a hundred libraries in the UK, um, I suppose as a publisher you'd want to sell a hundred books to each of those libraries, if not more. And in reality, from a digital perspective, you could say, well, actually, just have the one. And then we'll just share it around everybody else. So with Overdrive, you, your local library signs up to Overdrive. Um, is, is that many? Is that how does how does that work? And then do you then get an Overdrive account, or do you just go to the library account? Can you just walk us through that process? So <clears throat> the, the the basic mechanics are as far as possible duplicate a library user's experience in the physical world. So. Your local it's your local authority, whether that's uh, Surrey County Council or the London Borough of Islington or North Northumberland County Council, whoever it may be. Um, they're responsible for running the library service and they are responsible for choosing which platform they're going to use to run their digital library service. Right. Um, if that is Overdrive, then they organize the platform with us. We connect it to their library management system so that you gain access to it essentially on presentation of your library card. Um, and then they decide whether they want to put magazines, ebooks, e audiobooks on that platform, uh, which ones they want to buy and how much they want to spend on them. 
Um, and our role at Overdrive is obviously to make that technology work, provide the best possible experience for you as a library user, but also to ensure that the choice of magazines, audiobooks, and ebooks that the library uh, has is as broad as possible. And that means that facing the other way, we're constantly negotiating with publishers to convince them that it's not going to be uh, the demise of their business to make their books available as ebooks to public libraries, for example. And so does that allow you, because Overdrive is obviously in the UK, but it's also quite big in the US as well and, and elsewhere in the world. Does that allow, if if you're a library customer, could that, you know, can you tap into, are you restricted by the council that you're working with, certainly within the UK, or can you suddenly say, oh, there's, it turns out the copy of the book I actually want to read is is in a library in Seattle, for example. Do do I get access to that or does it not does it not work like that either? No, you only get access to the catalogue of books that your library authority has chosen to purchase. Right, right. And so when it comes to then, obviously, in these times where we're enjoying enjoying or not enjoying lockdown, it's obviously a chance for people to read a lot more. Is it? Has, have you found that a lot more people are able to access this service to then rather than actually go to the library, which might even be closed? Yeah. Um, and to all intents and purposes, we've seen a number of people using uh, the digital services offered by their libraries increase three or fourfold over the course of the summer. Um, and the number of books in whatever format, whether it's ebooks or audiobooks, that those people are borrowing uh, increase sort of five or sixfold. Um, and that is prompting. Uh, some serious soul searching in public libraries um, because up until now, with a few notable exceptions, um, the digital offer that they make has tended to be a sideline, has tended to be very much subsidiary to what they're doing in their branches uh, and the the collections of physical books that they offer. Um, and they're starting now to have to face into the question, uh, essentially, how so, you know, as to how seriously they're going to take their digital offer in the future. And is it? Do you think it's changed their minds? You know, because sometimes you, depending on how you see these things, you know, you could see the library as you know that stuffy old sort of place, in, you know, that you kind of fall asleep in, where everybody's got to be quiet. And obviously, now that with technology, it's you know, you don't necessarily even need to go to the library to do that. Do you think that's a, is that a good thing? Is that something that we should be championing? Or do you think there's still a place for a physical library to be there? Um, I think you would struggle to find a public librarian or a regular library user who recognised the uh, vision of physical libraries that you've just described. Mm. <laughs> um, because they are, you know, they're no longer a place where uh, stern ladies wearing glasses tell you to shush. Um, they're very, very much more active and engaged in supporting their the, the, their communities and in running uh, much more active programs of reader development and uh, uh, and so on, as well as being a point of entry into lots of other aspects of of local government. Um, and partly because of that. Uh, I and uh, and Overdrive very much see a continuing role for physical libraries. Um, the, we are 
a long, long way away, if we ever get there, from the digital library um, replacing rather than complementing the physical library. And, and what do you see the end goal here for for Overdrive is in, in this in this play? Where, where's what would be like considered? All right, my job's done here. I can move on. Um, I think when we reach a point where every library or if we're just looking at the at the UK uh, as a microcosm, when we've reached the stage where every library authority has a meaningful and valuable collection of digital content um, in all of the formats that are available uh, or have been made available by the market, so ebooks, e-audiobooks, digital magazines, digital newspapers, and so forth. Um, and everybody who lives in the community served by those library authorities knows about and makes full use of that offer. Um, and it's rather telling that when uh, the COVID restrictions started to, to kick off in the spring, um, there were some really quite senior figures in public libraries in the UK who were um, tweeting and putting out Instagram posts talking about ebooks and e-magazines as their library's best kept secret. Uh, we really should right. be, we should we should be a lot further on than that. And so, is it a case of just obviously raising awareness? But how can you? How can I determine whether my library offers Overdrive, or is it? Do you just get an app, or how does how does you how does a reader listener to this get get in for more information? So with Overdrive, it's really quite simple. Um, the Overdrive app is called Libby, uh, and it's in the Google Play and uh, Apple App Stores as Libby. Um, there's also a website LibbyApp a double p dot com. Uh, and if you either download the app and launch it or go to that website, the first question that you're asked is, where is your library authority? Um, and it's smart enough if you've got location services turned on on your device to see where you are uh, and tell you what the closest library authority is that runs the overdrive service. Um, and... From then on, you're free to browse that library authority or any other library authority's catalogue, um, see what ebooks, see what e-audiobooks they have to offer. Um, you can read uh, excerpts from the ebooks, you can listen to excerpts from the audiobooks. And then if you decide that you want to borrow something, at that point, and only at that point, we ask you for your library card. Um, and once you've provided that once, uh, the Libby app remembers it so you don't have to, to dig it out again. Equally, if you don't have a library card, then the app will talk you through the process of what you need to do in order to join your local library service. And obviously, over the course of the last six months, um, pretty much every library service in the UK has had to uh, make it more straightforward for people to join online without having to present themselves in a library branch. And if your library, if your local library or local authority doesn't have have Overdrive, is there alternatives, or is it a case of you just have to wait, or can you sort of start sort of sort of calling them and saying, right, you need to go and get this? <laughs> no, there are alternatives, and I don't think there's a single 
library authority in the UK that doesn't have some ebook and e-audiobook offer, uh, even if it's not from Overdrive. Um, so if you can't find your local library in the Libby app, then if you go to the local authorities website and navigate your way to the library services pages, um, then you'll find links there to whatever ebook or e-audiobook platform they do have. The world of laptops is becoming a more complex landscape to navigate by the day. The Samsung Galaxy Book S, for example, is actually the second such device to launch with that name, only this one's based on the Intel i5 processor, while the original launch was built on a Qualcomm processor instead. Does that mean it should be much easier to use, and should you go for this one over the other one? And will it support the usual array of apps? Pocalent's Mike Lowe is here to give us his verdict. So it's, it's an interesting one, this, because Samsung for so long um, hasn't been releasing laptops in the UK. Um, and then it kind of suddenly came back with a, a whole variety of things, um, one of which was this Samsung Galaxy Book S. But it's actually released in two different variants, and not just sort of subtly so. One of them's a Qualcomm one with a 8CX processor. And the other one is this one that I've recently reviewed um, with an Intel i5. Um, so when I when I first got this laptop, it was a good few months back actually, it was with the Qualcomm chip, which um, it's an interesting prospect because a little bit like, let's say, how Apple is progressing with its M1, the idea of this is really to just progress battery life. And for that, it's amazing. But unlike Apple, Qualcomm has this kind of difficulty, this hurdle to overcome that it's not totally compatible with everything that you've run on a Windows machine. So to the rescue comes Intel, basically. Um, right. So the, the Intel version has solved many issues. And so does it matter? <laughs> does it matter? Does it matter which one you get? Is there a benefit here to getting this Intel one over the Qualcomm one? Or is it kind of just whatever's in stock you should go for? No, it's quite different. So with Intel, you, you basically, they're kind of hand in hand with the way that Windows works because everything operates with x86 architecture and therefore you yeah. can install apps with no trouble so if you've got the intel one you want to run photoshop no problem you know you're good on the qualcomm one that's not going to happen so you've got to be actually quite careful about which you select um and it's not to totally you know crush the, the qualcomm one into the ground it's still a really decent laptop because it's thin it's light it looks you know it looks really nice looks the part but you kind of would only really use that as a super long lasting mobile kind of device on the go um, if you're just more into your spreadsheets and whatnot, rather than something a bit more heavyweight like the Intel one can uh, can push towards. Now, tablets over this last year have become more relevant to us, not because we're traveling more, but because we're wanting to use it in various rooms around the house. Um, how does this compare against, say, the Dell XPS, which everybody knows is you know is kind of one of the market leaders, or something from Lenovo, for example? Um, it, it does a pretty good, it's got a pretty good shot, you know, um, and, and it wasn't that Samsung was ever making poor laptops. It just didn't really see much of a market in the UK and, and parts of Europe. So it kind of, I think it was like seven years ago, it just it pulled out completely. So it's quite quite a nice surprise to see someone come back. Um, like if you compare uh, companies like Dell are making really quite exquisite laptops, you know, even HP as well. Um, I suppose a lot of things now comes down to kind of design ergonomics and how, those points of difference, how small you want the bezel around the screen to be. Um, there's a bit of a kind of weight war on as well, like how close to the kilo can you get it for portability? 
um, but sometimes it can it can make not a huge amount of difference. But this is you know this is really thin. It's got it's got the weight right, so it's really super portable and um, pretty successful for a return to, to the market. Really, it sounds like you enjoyed it. What didn't you like about it? What do you think that you know people think? Oh, okay, maybe that could have done be done better. Um, so you can't really use it on the go. There's no 4G LTE um, as there would be in the Qualcomm one. Uh, the ports as well. There's um, there's no full size USB. It's kind of all USB A, which to be fair, if you're a modern Mac user, probably isn't really a massive issue. Um, and it's got a little micro SD cover. I like the idea that you can expand, but the cover quality underneath the laptop is just really poor quality. I kind of bent it the first time I pulled it out, which seemed a bit ridiculous. Um, otherwise, the build is rather good, but that part for some reason just isn't. So it's kind of like details, you know. It's almost like the first go at coming back. And when they sharpen up those little details, it will, you know, be in a much stronger, kind of more robust position. And if you had to pick one thing to sell this to someone to say you should get it because of this, what what was that saying? Ultimately, it's the ultra lightweight and the slim design, really. It just has the real sharp look about it. Um, and it's not absurdly priced. So it's really, you know, critically, it's at that sub thousand pound point, um, by which I mean, it's 999 but you might find it on offer. Um, And then I think you're getting quite a a decent portable for your money. Well, that's it for this week's show. Thanks for listening. Until next time, pip-pip. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.